Welcome to Highly Political, a podcast where two passionate ladies smoke weed, talk politics, laugh, and sometimes cry. With special guests from the world of comedy, cannabis, and politics. We haven't worked on Capitol Hill, but that's okay. We're paying attention, and so should you. We want you to be informed, like little democracy angels. So pack your bowl, grab some snacks, and let's get into it. And remember, when they go low, we get high. Today I'm smoking strawberry cough, because in the summer, those berries are ripe. Known as the perfect daytime sativa, this strain mellows you out without knocking you out, and it's hard to muster up energy during lockdown. And I ate an edible because, well, I didn't order anything in time, and I'm trying to protect my lungs? We have a lot to talk about, so we invited back our beloved friend of the pod, Zach Harris. Trump can't handle our current crisis, so he's making up a new one. The Democrats unite, and CEOs are richer than ever. We will also discuss the sexual assault allegations against Joe Biden. If anyone is sensitive to this topic or prefers not to listen, it will not be covered during this episode, but will be our main focus in part two. All right, T, light it up. So I'm actually not smoking. I ate an edible. (laughs) I was out of flour and ease when I had gotten here in time, so I had some edibles, so. What a surprise. (laughs) Plot, nice. plot twist right in the beginning, y'all. <laughs> wow. So this will be and, fun. And Zach's not smoking um, either, but he yeah. also did not consume anything. Oh, yeah. But I, I, am, I am drinking a diet root beer. Don't forget. Which, yeah. is, which is probably worse than smoking cannabis. So. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, I was telling Zach this to NT while you, we were getting ready um, that, like, I, you know, as we were talking about last episode with Mary, like, cannabis is definitely, like, a medicine for a lot of people. Um, but for those of us who don't use it in that way, you know, like myself, um, for me, it was more of a social drug. Um, so I'm not having the best time when I'm smoking like at home, you know, Mm. or like my boyfriend's around and my dog, but like uh, by myself watching TV is, I'm finding it, he kind of doesn't really help with anxiety. Mm. Um, I think Zach has been experiencing kind of the same vibes. Uh, Yeah. You know, if you want to share, if you don't, no problem. But yeah, I'm enjoying it right now. Like talking to you guys, this is like my social hour for the day, you know? But uh, if I was by myself, I just – it's, like, not my favorite. It definitely helps with period cramps, and it definitely is the, my, my, so, my social drug of choice. But during choir, you know, it's not, um, it's not an everyday thing for me. Nor was it, nor was it before choir, but I'm just saying right. it's, it's lessened yeah. since then. For me, it was an everyday thing. And I was starting to just have, like, crazy panic attacks – because for me, weed, no matter what kind I smoke, it makes my heart, my heart rate like noticeably faster and, and kind of inconsistent, mm. which might, I don't know if that's everyone or, or if it's just like something I'm hyper aware of. But um, yeah, I would, I would smoke during quarantine and then immediately sense my heart rate and then just go on a tailspin of like, mm. in it with anxiety of like all the you know, am I, you know, like, obviously, by now, I should know I'm not dying every time I get anxiety when I smoke weed. Right. But you know, you still don't know. But the <laughs> yeah. mind is just so powerful. <laughs> I check my pulse a lot. Like, I'll, oh my I'll, God. I'll, oh my God, I'll do the two too. fingers to the, the neck. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. I do that. Actually, I still love it. I still will, you know, like whenever we can kind of get a semblance of 
some kind of normalcy or, or back to like, even in social situations, I love smoking weed. And like, obviously the whole point of this podcast is to like, like ease up and smoke and talk about and like lubricate the conversation totally. But even like in groups outside, sometimes I'll still check my pulse like on the fly, like, like, yeah. a, little, like a little sneak, sneak attack when nobody notices. <laughs> For me, I feel like it's kind of been the opposite. I don't, I'm smoking less, but I um, have been doing like more microdosing with like edibles. Mm. Um, I mainly I think eventually of, that's, that's yeah. where I want to go. I kind of mainly reduce the amount of like smoking just because, you know, it's like a respiratory virus going around. And it's a great point as uh, I just took that hit. But I, but I also like, <laughs> I, I also like, like for me, um, it really helps with my anxiety. Um, mm. So, and I, when I smoke, I get a more in, instantaneous like relief versus like when I take an edible. And then sometimes, even if I take the same like, dosage you know sometimes edibles just hit a little differently especially if you take like different brand or what you ate or whatever so i still like do smoke at least twice a day Mm -hmm. um i will say like the five milligrams though like i can do that any day and feel great right like a small a small gummy edible no that's like not a big deal for me at all that's actually very enjoyable maybe i'll order some i like the little gummies because i'm not a big sweet person so i can't eat like a big ass like chocolate or brownie or something you know Mm-hmm. Like really so wait, I'm sorry, what is your milligram count right now oh for this yeah like what yeah uh 35 milligrams okay that's pretty oh. that's, that's pretty mid-level for tea she can go macro dose she can get higher yeah, yeah i can go higher <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Um, there's an election in six months <laughs> and uh we got i just i want to talk about some stuff i want to talk about um then uh, I want to talk about Obamagate. <laughs> like, so what exactly is Obamagate? Oh, it's the greatest. It's the biggest political scandal. <laughs> Did you know that? Did you know about that? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much all I've heard. I don't know, I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Trump is obviously handling coronavirus like an idiot. So he needs some kind of distraction. Like his spiraling tweets is just so funny. Anyway, sorry, continue. <laughs> oh, also, like I listened to the clip and the reporter was like, "Okay, during your Mother's Day tweets, you you like talked about Obamagate. It's like, like what was he saying? Like Happy Mother's Day, I love Melania. Like hashtag Obamagate. Like check it out. So, it's, um, it it has something to do with Michael Flynn, who apparently might be. Working for the administration of Trump once again. Are you serious? I'm fucking serious. Yeah, apparently he's like <laughs> on a short list of people. It must be a short list. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, the I mean yeah. like, yeah, yeah, they don't they don't give a shit. So basically, <laughs> so so basically, like, like somebody can just be like, yo, can we just tone it down a bit, bro? <laughs> <laughs> no way. There he he has his like own Trump confirmation bias with himself. And everything he does, it first of all, this is just like a pure distraction. He's a, he is handling this virus so awfully, you know. So uh, imagine during fucking like the 2008 recession if like obama was like no let's not talk about the recession let's talk about a uh, george bush uh drove drunk in the 70s or something. so basically th- yeah. there's this thing that um that intelligence agencies do called unmasking which reveals like people who who have committed a crime right mm. 
and it's not and they're not classified documents it's completely it's it's legal you know it's been done and um apparently like the obama administration on their way out like joe biden um requested an unmask of michael flynn who at the time like you know he was uh talking to the russian ambassador and he was undermining american policy with russia <laughs> so they like unleashed his name but then also during the transition obama told trump like not to go ahead with flynn like you mm. should like let flynn go okay and then obama or then trump you know let flynn go because he's a fucking criminal <laughs> um but now they're saying because joe biden was one of the people who asked that the unmasking of flynn's information be out there um and now because he's the presidential candidate, they're trying to like tie in a conspiracy theory there. They're trying to like say that because, oh, because Biden requested this, it was like a, it was a way to um, pollute or like, you know, the Trump campaign or something. It's, it uh, makes no sense, but, um, <laughs> but now like. So they gave him a chip like, hey. I don't really yeah. fuck with you like that, but this is America, so you should probably fire that Flynn guy. We yeah. were wrong about him. We figured it out. And so you and did, he, and now they're trying to turn that into, like, yeah. <laughs> she, like, did them a favor, and now they're trying to say how you did something wrong? Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, sure. <laughs> but, but Tiana, but Tiana it's, uh, it's been going on for a long time. Um, it's uh, Obamagate. It's it's been it's been going on from before I even got elected, and it's a disgrace that it happened. And if you look at what's going on, if you look at it now, all the information that's being released, and from what I understand, that's only the beginning. Some terrible things happened, and it should never be allowed to happen in our country. That's, that's like what Trump what, said. That's was that's what Trump said when a, when the reporter was like, "Okay, so can you tell me what Obamagate is?" Well, because like they basically made up that word before they even had something <laughs> to connect it to. Right. They were like looking for like I think Trump because because when conspiracy like Pizzagate, you know, the person who normally starts the claim or allegation isn't the one who calls it a gate, right? It's other people. Right. But Trump calling it Obama Gate, it was basically already a conceived hashtag already. You know, like it was a notion. So now all he needed was so, like somebody in his camp to to make something up to correlate to Trump's Obamagate. And that reporter, that reporter, she was asking him directly, like giving him the opportunity to say, what crime did Obama commit? Like, tell us. And he was just so awkwardly dodging it. Like, oh yes, well, he did. Mm -hmm. She's like, okay, so what exactly is the crime that he committed? (laughs) Of course there's, yes, he did. And we're going to see a lot of this information, like just... Sir, can you please tell it's us? Ridiculous. Like my 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 stove's on. I gotta go. Go to the White House. Um, but uh, yeah. So so that's like Trump's. Which okay, to me, I think it's a really bad move, right? Because I was much more frightened at Trump's like. So basically, I don't think we got to talk about this last time, but that he was saying um, that the COVID nineteen. I'm sure he said. I'm sure he said like the Chinese disease or something is like a war. It's worse than Pearl Harbor. So he was, he's positioning himself to like, you know, be anti-China. And I, and I thought maybe that was like what he thought his path to reelection was going to be. But Mm. now he pivoted to Obamagate. So Obamagate, like I, 
I was frightened that it was going to like, I think it's more dangerous and actually a better, a better move if Trump pivoted to like just attacking China um, and make them the enemy because he did, he was quoted to say that this is worse than Pearl Harbor. Like basically saying, you know, calling it like an, an attack of, you know, a foreign attack. Um, but I think Obamagate is much better because it doesn't make sense. And people who are, his base is always his base and I'm sure they're going to feed into it. And I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of new Reddit threads and like hashtags about this, but that's like something that you know, I, I was I was never concerned about Trump's base, right? right? But but people who like could be on the fence and who are middle class and like or working class and losing their jobs, um, they they I would imagine they would want their president to talk about that as opposed to like something else. No matter how much you like him, you know, if you're not part of his base, if you approve of what he's doing, and you see him now, he's just like peddling Obamagate, and you're like, well, what about the fucking, like, what about this new CARES Act revision? Or like, what, you know, right. or what's going to, what's going to happen? So I kind of prefer that he's doing this. Yeah. Honestly. I mean, yeah. You, I think I get I, to a point where you're just like, bro, you're making it really hard for me to be out here in these streets <laughs> saying I support you. Like, you ain't got nothing for Obamagate. It means nothing. Like, I know. <laughs> he's looking to he's looking to make sure that no matter what, he can repeat what happened in 2016, which a huge part of was was like stoking Obama resentment and like a conspiracy that he was the worst president ever, based on no information or right. facts. Just but a it, feeling it that he kind of worked. Yeah. And and his other I think his other idea was that to win in 2020, he would focus on the economy but because that's so mm-hmm. murky right now and because mm-hmm. there's like there's like oppo ads coming out of him praising china in january about the virus yeah you know he just takes the sides of of whoever he thinks makes him look better at that moment and he wanted to make democrats look like unhinged by like agreeing with china that it wasn't a big deal and so he obviously isn't you know there's there's too much making him look inconsistent on both china and the economy so he right. can just revert back to hating on Obama and that that will work for his base at least. I mean, I I would I, the base no matter what they're kind, they're lost in the sauce but um I lost in the sauce. I can't in the sauce. <laughs> I can't imagine like a campaign Oh, I also do like Biden. There is a little bit different of drumming up excitement. Like Biden is doing video conferencing from Delaware and Trump is like un like unmasked pun intended. Um <laughs> at rallies like in Arizona. So there's something to be said about, I mean, I saw the people who attend Trump's rallies are like his base, but do you guys think that there, there is like something to be said, like Joe Biden's not gonna, you know, go against the governor of Delaware and he's also 77. He's going to social distance and video conference from his, his home. But do you think that even that sucks, even what little excitement people have about Joe Biden, what Trump's doing is not advised, but like, I think it looks better. I don't know if it necessarily looks better. I mean, if it's like not advised, I mean, you're the president of the United States. Like you got to keep yourself safe. He's going flying around out Good here, point. going to all these rallies, you know, it's like, bro, what? Um, so I don't know. I think just for, I think, I think it's hard for people still, like shelter in place c- continues um, and like accepting some of the new normals. And I think just figuring out ways to make video conferencing or 
tele, you know, town halls, um, more dynamic, you know. I think also think, like, like pushing for trying, you know. And and when you think about when you think about like Biden having won the primary, he didn't really have the biggest crowds at rallies. That, yeah, I was, yeah, that's a great point. I was kind of thinking about that. I might but like yeah, it's kind it of would, a fallacy. It would be it would maybe be dis- even more disappointing if he was out on the trail and like people weren't showing up. And just maybe not reflective of whether or not people will turn out. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, But, uh, okay, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there because I was thinking about that today and I wanted to, you know, get the the crowds, get the crowd's reaction. I'd be disappointed if he was, like, out there doing shit like that. I'd be like, bro... (laughs) yeah 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 I, it's now you're gonna not- now you're gonna die or something <laughs> like I, 2020's like been going off and i can't with that so like stay your ass at home you know the <laughs> um, webcam and let's do this because <laughs> the, these fools are both too old to be out here i gotta yeah. do something i mean i gotta do something else i can't just be giving him money i'm gonna like i get emails and texts from joe biden basically every day so <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna see like what the fuck there For was like each- what was that fact? Oh, at least. Well, there there was one I saw briefly because I never pay attention because I'm like, I'm gonna vote for you, it's fine, but I'm like, well, maybe mm-hmm. I should do more. Um, but there was a there was one that was uh join the focus group. And I'm thinking, maybe oh. I should join a focus group. Was it paid? Oh, um, I don't think so. I think it's a volunteer. Hmm. <laughs> I have a great financial opportunity during COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I'd still do it, but there but okay so what i am really excited about um which i think will definitely win over some left of left people not not um you know not very far left voters who are kind of lost kind of our right right um is uh the unity task force that joe and bernie uh agreed on and put together Hmm. um I think that uh, like there's a huge there's a huge problem in the Democratic Party that I didn't think was as uh, divided until a this primary and b like reading this really eye opening article in the New Yorker about uh, the executive class and how they got Trump elected and so in my head I've I've been always thinking like. I've read articles too, but maybe it's just like the 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 vision of like a Trump supporter at a rally is not somebody who looks like they own like a, a summer home by a lake. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I read this crazy article. I, I sent I sent it to Zach a while ago too. Um, that like the executive class of Greenwich, Connecticut. It was about it was about Greenwich, Connecticut, basically, and how they used their resources to help get Trump elected. And it didn't start with tax breaks. It started with like immigration and building a wall. And basically they would these rich <laughs> I know like it's in Greenwich, Connecticut, get the fuck out of here, honestly. It's Yeah, like <laughs> Okay, but anyway, sorry. So, well, no, it's just it so helped. annoying. It's like, it's so annoying. It's like, of course, that's like, I was like, let's see, what's the racist ass shit that's going to be leading <laughs> their support? Yeah, it was surprising to me because I had assumed tax breaks, but then I was reading this and basically, you know, racism and how they 
Trump says what they're thinking. And these are the people who, if you were to ask them, if some, if somebody were to ask them in an exit poll, who they vote for, they may like not say, or wouldn't say Trump because they're embarrassed, but they're Mm. still pouring money in. They have vast resources. The, um, the average income of a Trump voter in 2016 was $10,000 more than Hillary voter. Wow. Wow. And, and to me, um, that would suggest that the executive class who make a lot of money up that average of apparently like working class whites who voted for Trump. Um, so, so to me, the right is like much more unified than I imagined after right. reading this article. Cause I thought there were so many people who, there you have like the Obama Trump voters, right? But, uh, but then you think of like, okay, the rich, rich and the poor, poor both want, both want him. And so in the divisions that uh, Bernie has helped still create, sorry, whatever. Like if he was the presidential candidate, I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't necessarily think there would be a unity task force right now. I'm just guessing. Um, <laughs> but there's like a, there's a terrible division in the, in the Democratic Party that like we really need to like have a reckoning with and we need to figure this fucking out and we need to, uh, even though this, this candidate is running on a very, the most progressive platform technically like ever, you know, you still have to appease people who do want, who do in their minds, like want the best, like our true liberals at heart and want the best for everybody. Right. So in the task force, we have uh, the environment and it's AOC and John Kerry, which I think is great. I mean, like uh, the green deal has like a lot of shaky like figures, I think, but I think teaming up AOC with John Kerry, who's a huge environmentalist, he was Obama Secretary of State, I think is a great idea. Um, and especially like, you know, the star power of AOC. Yeah. Right. Um, and then on healthcare, it's uh Pramila Jayapal. Um do we do you guys know who she is? She's actually been yeah. in the headlines the past week because she um, proposed the Paycheck Guarantee Act uh, that is kind of a an alternative to the CARES Act that's been lauded by economists, including Janet Yellen, and it models after European and Asian countries' response, like economic response to the opening. Um, I didn't really like. I listened to her her interview on Pod Save America, um, but I, I don't really want to get into the nitty gritty. But she's like a rising progressive star, basically, okay. mm-hmm. and then. Um, Vivek Murthy, Murthy is, was the Surgeon General under Obama, and he is also on the current coronavirus task force. So he will hopefully be into implementing like pandemic and virus, you know, into the healthcare problem that we already have. So those are his healthcare co-chairs. And then obviously they're, they're the co-chairs, and then there's a long, there's a, a larger list of people who are actually on each committee. Right. Um, for immigration, it's uh, Lucille Robal Allard. She's a, a representative of California. She's a, been a rep for almost 20 years. Um, and then we have Marilina Hincapi. <laughs> Yo, that's going to be wrong. That's going to be a wrong pronunciation. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out right now. It's wrong. Hincapi? <laughs> Hinkapi, um, who's currently the executive director of the National Immigration Law Center, who backed Sanders' immigration policies during the primary. Oh. 
And then for um, the economy is Rep. Karen Bass, who is my former representative. Um, she whoop, She's the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, who endorsed Biden. And then Sarah Nelson, who's the president of the National Association of Flight Attendants, who is a Sanders supporter. Hmm. I also love that um, uh, uh, two women are co-chairs of the economy task force. Yeah. And then the criminal justice reform, I'm actually really excited about. Um, it's Chirag Baines, who uh, he is a another like rising progressive star. He is a big uh, voting rights advocate. Um, he also he's an attorney. He um, he worked in the civil rights division criminal section for the for USA. I don't I don't know if it was like under Holder. I'm not sure. Um, and then we have Bobby Scott, who would be like you know the kind of like the Biden appointee. Okay. Um, Bobby Scott is, uh, he is the first African-American representative from Virginia since Reconstruction. <laughs> oh, I know. Um, he also, he, let's see the district. Oh, uh, uh, okay. Um, we're going to talk about this later in the pod as well. Not him particularly, but there is a sexual harassment ongoing case involving him. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so a former staffer claimed that he like patted her on the booty and, um, and maybe rubbed her shoulders and then made a crude comment Mm. once to her. So that's still ongoing. So we, you know, um, but, uh, he, he also introduced the death in custody reporting act of 2013, which, um, I think is really admirable. It would require the United States Department of Justice to collect data from U.S. states and territories about the deaths of prisoners in their custody, mm. which is so important because yeah. prisoners, you know, like they don't collect that, that data. Yeah, collect that. Yeah, and we <laughs> we all know that like you know the system is a bit skewed. And I have some statistics later I want to talk about because we have prisoners who are trying to get COVID to get out of prison. Mm. Oh, yeah. um, so I have like a breakdown on like the ethnic makeup of, of prisons and guess what? <laughs> it ain't looking so white. Um, <laughs> and then spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, Eric Holder is also on the, um, the criminal justice reform, a former AG to Obama. And then for education, it's Heather Goutney and Marsha Fudge. Um, they'll co-chair the education group. Fudge serves as House Committee on Education and Labor and is a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. And Gounty was a senior policy advisor to Sanders' presidential campaign. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is like a really great, wonderful announcement. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Zach? Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's great. I agree. I, um, <laughs> I agree. I agree. Uh, I think... Was doing some research on it, and I typed in like Unity Task Force, and there was a fucking like Facebook uh-uh. thing because I recently logged onto my own Facebook for the first time in a very long time, and uh, so when I searched it, it was like a Facebook, and it was like the Humanist Report, which I don't know, some guy in his little studio that he made, just like ta- saying his counting his opinions as news, you mm. know? and he was like saying that the Unity Task Force means nothing. <laughs> And he's a he's a he's a very very left leaning individual. Uh, so once again, I think you know, like the right, like Trump's base, and you know the the people who have even after Bernie has said like let's come together and are ignoring that. We're, we've kind of lost those people. 
Yeah. Because what more, what more can Joe Biden give you? Right. Like, well, it's, it's just not revolutionary in their eyes and that's, that's their litmus test. Revolutionaries don't, don't unify with a class that they consider the same as Republicans, you know, because Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe Bernie never said Joe Biden is a Republican, but through the course of all of this, that's their main takeaway, which is that, you know, it doesn't like denying majority rule of Republicans doesn't, doesn't mean anything if the Democrats themselves are just like cynical Republicans who wear blue, Mm -hmm. which is, Mm -hmm. which is what I always keep seeing on Twitter. So it's, it's that confirmation bias thing of it doesn't matter if, if Pramila and AOC and all of these figures from that camp are actively working for like policy achievements. They just see it as, um, I don't know, a way for, for Biden to, to not have to answer to what Bernie has made it seem like is a career of capitulation to conservatives. Just can't but win. <laughs> it just it just depends on whether or not like we literally can win if they're right. going to abstain from voting. Right. Yeah. So we have to be out in full force. Maybe that's why I'm gonna join that damn focus group, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think on on top of that, I think that the reason people are so outspoken about the unity thing, you know, just like just like debasing it, saying it doesn't count, doesn't mean anything. And, and also what we're going to talk about later, which is, you know, basically trying to make Joe Biden look, trying to get him to drop out is basically what I'm trying to say. They, they think yeah, there's yeah. still a chance for Sanders to be the nominee. And right. if, they, if they even remotely make it seem like there's going to be a concession made to Joe Biden, then that, that sort of pipe dream is dead. Mm. So, mm. So, but that's what happened in 2016. They'll wait until it's too late potentially. And we'll have to wait and see, I guess, if that's going to cause damage that causes him to lose. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's a really great and scary point. That's like very viable (laughs) (laughs) in, in a COVID news in South Korea. You guys hear about that one guy who went to five different clubs in one night and, and then there was like a burst in Corona. When I when I read that article or just the headline at first, I was like, "There's no way this this guy's over 30. Like going to five, <laughs> going to five different Those were the days. one night. Those were the days. That's that's my edict. That's a good edict. That was really uh, good. Um, yeah. So there was like a spike there, which gets back to like you know Corona and the economy. Um, and I think maybe we could do our Queen of the Week, Tiana. We could talk about oh, yes, Queen of the Week, Queen of the Week. It's the Queen of the Week. Um, Zach, you you love her. We all know her. She is a uh, America's egot. Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi. Um, not only was Whoopi a guest judge on RuPaul's Color Purple episode two weeks ago. Oh, really? Um, she, yeah, it was, it was a really good episode. <laughs> Literally. Literally. Color purple, not the color purple. Yeah. <laughs> well, the color so that is purple. When she spit in that water in the color purple and fucking stirred it with her finger. Do you guys remember that scene? 
Oh, I thought you meant on Drag Race. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> In the movie. What was our character's name? Celia? Celie. Celie. Oh I remember God. being so young watching that, being like, yes, spit in that water. Spit in that water, girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she got into it with Chris Christie. Um, oh God, that clip you sent me of him uh, on The View was hilarious like when they um like the one thing i really do like about video conferencing is when they do like the gallery view <laughs> <laughs> and it fucking would just like whoopie like even when whoopie like introduced him she was just like already over his bullshit just having to say his name and fucking his flashes and it shows joy behard and i don't know Yo, who the other, the other girl is at like seven minutes without even being announced because Rupi would be like okay you go next next and then like all of a sudden joe behar with her fucking like tinted sunglasses <laughs> but when i showed that <laughs> shot she was already ready from the jump she had that like that kind of like jiggle she does you know like she oh. can't wait to fucking tell him something and she fucking did <laughs> she had a she had to come at me bro Stand. that's what cat cats do like right before they're about to pounce they wiggle their butt <laughs> my god joy so feline of her yeah um, so, it looked like chris christie was like looking um like off to the side at like somebody like writing something down for him to say <laughs> <laughs> getting st- like facts or something i will okay i'm gonna i'm gonna be like not controversial actually i'm just gonna say like i chris christie wasn't saying like crazy crazy shit yeah he was he was just saying like he's one of those people who saying like you know we just have to get back to work and get back to normal because we're going to sacrifice too much or or like he is he quoted like a a week ago that you know there this is like war and there are going to be sacrifices okay and then he's saying you know we need to do measure like uh, precautions and all and all that jazz and like he's one of those people who's like reopen america but kind of like in a smart way quote unquote like whatever that is and which is like not completely wrong, not completely right. We don't really know what the best way is to get right. back to normal. We just don't know. But Whoopi fucking laid it down and was like, okay, who are you willing to sacrifice? Just say it. That's like, if you believe that, that's cool. Who are you, your aunt, your grandma? Like who, who's alive for you that you're willing to sacrifice right now? I don't know. What was also frustrating was that he kept being like, well, that's not what I said. That's not what I said. That's not what I said. What I meant was, it's like, wait, so that's not what you said or you said that and what you really meant was this. Whoopi was just, her sigh was the sigh of a thousand fuck yous. Like, so you didn't, you, I'm, I'm reading the quote. You didn't say this. And he's like, no, no, Whoopi, what you got? Yeah. But the thing is, that's the thing. Like the people who, oh, you know, sorry, you know what else was really annoying? Um, I, I'm sorry because I don't really watch the views. So I don't know who the other girl was, but there was like an uh, oh yeah another younger really... woman there, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know. She asked him some question, and I can't remember what the question was. But he said something about how like this is how politics works. Like the Republicans want what the Republicans want, the Democrats what the Democrats want, and then we have to you know come together and figure out what's going to happen. I was like, yo, bro, are you really trying to ma- explain like? how the government works in this moment right now it was so patronizing and annoying i was like first of all you evaded her question i can't even remember what her question was because his answer was so i yeah i think it was about the cares act but like for chris christie though from his point of like his life point of view like he's you know a wealthy person who who probably doesn't have to leave his home to work right you know and i'm sure he has the funds to keep his immediate family safe 
in their homes. But then there's also working class people who are, you know, being manipulated by conspiracy theories who are also demanding the economy reopen. So it's not just people coming from places of like wealth privilege that are saying this, right? right? right. So it's hard to to say like, oh, it's easy for Chris Christie to say that because, but it is easy for Chris Christie to say that because also he's a wealthy man who doesn't have to like actually leave his home to work. And I, I mean, there's all this talk of like herd immunity and like what, what we need to do. But then the woman who he, um, he tried to mansplain the government to, she said like, you know, when we reopen, there's going to be another burst and it might be worse for the economy. Right. 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 And, and so that's why the argument, like it's going to be better for the economy. The thing is like, there is a, like, He's working on the parameter that there's a sense of like complete uncertainty when there's not. So, for example, 21% of the population of New York City ha- um, like has, has been tested positive for corona. Okay. Wow. But out of that, um, out of that percentage, one in, so one in every 400 New Yorkers have died. So thou- like up to 19,000 whatever where uh, New Yorkers have died. And that's only, to get, that's only to get to 21%. So imagine if 100% of New Yorkers had corona, like how many more deaths right. that, would, that would cost. And all I'm saying, Chris Christie, is who you gonna sacrifice? Man. I think, yeah, it just speaks to like how their main, Republicans' main goal is always how to solidify their majority like you know their power either like through all the branches or like you know the president the executive branch or the senate like they don't they don't they're not they're not actually thinking about they don't think about facts that way they just they just portray the facts as whatever is going to like service them the best like if if there is uncertainty you know, then that means that that they can still be trusted, that Trump doesn't, you know, like Trump, it doesn't present such a threat as in terms of bungling the response to the pandemic that people need to vote for a Democrat. Mm. It's true. And I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on here and say that uh, it would actually behoove the Republican Party if we were to just go balls to the walls, open up, because underserved communities are dying at a higher rates and faster rates and uh, they are often democratic voters. Yeah. So, I mean like that, that I don't know if like some liberal media outlets are afraid to like, just say, I mean, some have like, there was that great, like that really pointy article on the route that we've discussed. But I mean, I don't even think that's conspiracy. Like that's just like, that's numbers like these are the people who are dying more of corona and guess who they fucking vote for like if the people in greenwich connecticut and like sandusky ohio were dying at higher rates like perhaps the response would be different right and it's also the same reason why why white people predominantly on average are regardless of their economic status such hardline immigration opposers because their, their fundamental fear and belief of Democrats is that we want open borders and to make everyone citizens so that we can maintain our majority as Democrats and just right. enfranchise everyone regardless of how long they've been here, whether or not they, right. you know, they should be 
able to vote or have driver's licenses, you know, after a long period of time, they wouldn't even be able to vote right away. But that's the, that's where they think. Oh, they definitely. They think that, that like the demogra- demographic makeup of the country eventually, because of what Democrats are doing, will change so that Republicans can never win again, which, yeah, that would be great. But Democrats <laughs> don't even have that kind of like manipulative foresight the way that Republicans do. Right. Their policies are only about winning. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's real, watch well, this real scary. Um, and that's just a real scary thing for the election, you know, guys. So let's Ugh. just be aware of all this jazz. And then I do quickly want to talk about. stresses me out, man. Yo, I'm so stressed. I do quickly want to talk about um, another, like, you know, light, a lighthearted fact about prisoners trying to get COVID. <laughs> um, so there, I just saw a couple, I just saw like a, a, a few headlines and like I read one article. I don't think this is like salacious. I think it's like, some prisoners have just tried. I'm, I'm sure it's a lower percentage of, I'm, I'm, it's like not every prisoner, right? I'm sure it's right. like a couple cases they heard about and they made it a story. Um, but uh, Paul Manafort fucking left prison. Oh, yeah. <laughs> fucking forgot about that shit. Bar, aid, the AG bar who like kid just is like Trump's little bitch. Fucking Roger Stone is out right and paul manafort even though he didn't like meet the uh like i don't know uh the requirements like society, yeah release. requirements of early release it's like a certain percentage of time served or exactly um, time yeah yeah and um and so uh there so just a quick like quick recap on prisons um there are 4575 prisons in operation in the united states jesus um and the amount the largest the largest uh criminal makeup of crimes is uh 45.6 percent drug offenses guys why don't somebody just give me a guess just let's let's get a guess from both of you uh for banking insurance counterfeit and embezzlement okay so mostly rich white people crimes (laughs) Um, how, what is the percentage of those crime, those, convi- those convicted of the, of that crime in prison? What's the, what's the prison percentage? Oh, God. I'm going to okay, say so, 4%. Okay. Zach says four. Okay. T, what do you say? 12. Okay. T. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to be hopeful. <laughs> okay, guys. This is according to, um. So like point one or something. This is a this is a, according to the um, a government statistics on inmate offenses. It's a it's point zero two percent. Oh my god! Point zero two percent. Wow. Yep. Yo. Um, black That's just inmate. wild because that shit like I've known some people that done some crazy shit like that, and it's just crazy how. Like the bigger the crime, the more money you like help steal. Like, yeah. Well, it's because like they they have they're afforded better lawyers, right? I'm imagining like these 45 percent of drug offenders, like probably public defenders, probably the education rate is probably there's probably a disparity in education levels. Um, fucking wild, dude. And uh, <laughs> black like, in 
Wait, I just like can't imagine. Like, yo, when you said twelve percent, I was like, oh shit, or ten percent. I knew I was gonna be so. I knew I was gonna be so off. I just can't imagine having a statistic that small, like being like nobody's like uh, no one's questioning this. Like, which is that's cool. Like, that's just wild, dude. Yep, 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 yep. And um, black and in, black inmates make up forty percent of the prison population. They only make up thirteen point forty percent of the total U.S. population. Wow. Um, wow. Native Native Americans represent two point thirty of incarcerated population, and only one point thirty of the population. Jesus. Fifty-eight point seven of the percent of the prisoners um, are white, which includes Hispanic Americans. So whites and Hispanics are clumped together in this study for whatever reason. I'm. I wonder. I don't know what the breakdown is between them. I didn't look, but um, yeah, that's just like some, some prison random makeup. clumping. Yeah, it is a really random <laughs> clumping. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and only sixty-nine percent of jurisdictions have reported data on on uh, COVID findings. Um, so yeah, I'm just like, I mean, I think that, I think that every, not everybody, but I think many criminals were born into circumstances that put them where they are. I mean, um, you know, physical assaults, rape, murder aside, you know, and, but even then there, people have been exonerated, you know, but, um, it's like in this country, once you are arrested, you are forgotten, locked away, and like treated like an animal. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm sure people are dying of COVID and and prison prisons that we're not quite sure of. Um, but you know, I will say, um, hopefully, because of that, um, the act that was co-sponsored by Bobby Scott. Maybe we'll get some more information and data on that in the days, in the months to come. Um, yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, I know that kind of shit. Yeah. Wild that, like, they're like, hey, um, so, like, where's your information on this? Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, about that. We don't, we don't count. We don't. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, no, 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 no. Is it because it's so few or because it's so many? No, we just, we just don't count. We just... Do- do you guys like never occurred to us to like remember how many people died in our care that's weird that you would even ask that i don't know (laughs) i think about sometimes like what like if if like an alien aliens like dropped down and we were like giving them a tour of america you know like oh what are those gray concrete blocks (laughs) oh that's where we put like a large percentage of americans Right. Also, like the people that do like some of the craziest crimes that spill billions and billions of dollars on people. Oh no, no, those guys were no. like, "Hey, you shouldn't do that." Um, but then they can go and do it again, like nine more times, and it's like yeah. chill. Yeah. So, like, murderers. Oh, are they black murderers or white murderers? What's the what's the makeup you're asking? <laughs> oh no, no, they no, they were just selling. They just sold pot when they were fourteen. Yeah. yeah. You know. It's yeah. fucking and um oh. And the, so, like CEOs, right? Who are like part of that? They embezzle, you know, all that, mm-hmm. all that job. Um, see, so back to like the Greenwich, Connecticut people who voted for Trump, uh, the executive class. So, um, in 1965, the CEO, on average, of a large public company, earned about 20 times as much as the frontline worker. Okay, today that figure is 278 times. Wow. 
So on average, a CEO, like a a large company, like you're, we're talking about like, you know, your Jeff Bezos and your, you know, airline execs and, you know, um, but yeah, they, they make 278 times more than their frontline workers. And so like, think about their political power. Right. And who, whose side they're on currently. That's scary. Yeah, it's wild. I guess no, oh, it's not a shocker either. It's like, yeah. wow, whoa, magic. Oh, all the rich people only care about themselves. I know. <laughs> We're like this country is. We, I mean, I was thinking about this on my walk today. How I don't know. I mean, I've been to other countries. You know, I'm I'm not like a so such a worldly person, but I've read up on different cultures. I've been to different places. Um, I can't really speak to different countries, but I will say America has such a problem with like fucking like selfish we're a selfish society and it's hurting us now more than ever i i can't remember if i said this i know i've talked to you about it but i don't know if i said it on the podcast before so if i have forgive me all those edibles kicking in but um i was reading a book recently and it said americans don't want to be equal they want to be rich oh yeah did you you might have texted me that yeah, I think I texted you. I can't remember if I talked about it before, but um, yeah, and that just kind of really hit me. Like, you know, um, it was in the book, uh, somebody was talking about, you know, all these kind of programs and things they were trying to change to really like help, help people. And none of it was able to pass or kind of go through. Um, and it's like old dude who was kind of like his mentor dropped that on him. And I was like, yo, bro, that like makes a lot more sense. You know, because sometimes you get so like fed up, at least for me, like, being like, why don't people care more about other people? At least that's kind of how mm-hmm. I view it. Um, and just thinking about how people, you know, not necessarily, I think it's obviously not everyone, but the overall like capitalistic viewpoint is, you know, they don't want to be equal. They want to be rich. Right. Which is fine. Yeah. Be rich. Like, but. It shouldn't, you shouldn't be making 200 and what, you said 70 something times 78, more? 78, yeah. 78 times more than the people who are actually out there making your money. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And not expect a revolt. Like, I don't know. It's like so <laughs> wild. Like, <laughs> it's just like so like, I can't imagine like actually like looking at your paycheck and thinking that your boss makes 278 times more than you. I'd be like, wait. Pardon? <laughs> How much do they get taxed? Okay. Um, yeah, that whole eat yeah. the rich thing. That's, like, I'm sorry to understand yeah, that yeah, so yeah, much yeah. more. That's a no for me, dog. Let's talk about some purging. <laughs> like, if okay, you had me guess, I'd be like, mm, like 50 times more? And I'd be like, that's, he must be rich. I should have had you. I should have had you guys guess. God damn. What a, what a missed opportunity. <laughs> you guys just went wrong left and right. <laughs> Shit. Um, yeah. So, you know, all of these things are really scary. And um, I like, you know, we're talking about the election, but there's like, you know, a new headline that has come up in the zeitgeist the past couple of weeks. Um, and we feel we would be hypocrites if we didn't talk about it. Um, so, you know, the, the allegations against Joe Biden by Tara Reid. So if you yourself are not comfortable with, you know, revisiting, if you if you have past trauma or don't want to talk about sexual assault and you know that's what we love you we respect you and we're just going to talk about that right now so if you want to you know stop the pod but then like leave a happy review 
we're more than welcome to accept that. So yeah, you know, so yeah, this is, well, you know, for the people, the people who aren't going to listen, we still have to tell them like and subscribe, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, thank, so, and thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. Thanks guys. <laughs>